All right. Hey, RBC, how's everybody doing today? Here's the thing. Man, as we get started, man, I'm going to go out on a limb. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I'm just going to be honest. Most of the time when I hear somebody say, I'm going to step out on a limb, guess what? That limb that they step out on, it's not sketchy. It's not itty-bitty. Usually they're going to step out on something that can hold their weight, okay? And, 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 and you know what? I'm ashamed to say that we have some ladders up here at our church that have a warning on there, and, and, and I exceed that weight limit warning, all right? So with that being said, I'm about to step out on a limb but I want you to know that the limb I'm about to step on, it's going to hold my weight, all right? It, it, it's big, it's strong, and here's what I mean by this. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that I believe that in here, in our church today, man, I believe that there's people who would agree that we know what it feels like to be an outsider at times. All right, there it was. See, I'm jumping on that limb. I'm not going to fall because it's, it's a really safe statement. But would y'all agree with that? Man, I believe that out here in our body, we have people that are represented today, and we can easily say that, man, we understand what it feels like to be an outsider at times. And here's the thing. Let me expound on that. Man, maybe it's a different color of skin that makes us stand out sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes we shortchange that. We only look at that from one side. But guess what? There's two sides to that puzzle. And guess what, man? Maybe we talk differently. Man, I'll go ahead and say it. I'll go ahead and say it. Because, man, I had one of the greatest high school jobs growing up besides mowing yards. You know, the parents say, go get a job. Well, I found a job that only wanted me to work only on Saturdays, all right? And so I worked at this teacher store that was located downtown and every single Saturday besides, hey, can you show us where the bulletin board paper is? Can you show us where the calendars are? They would say, where are you from? Okay, and I would be embarrassed and say, I'm from Greenville, Texas. Not embarrassed because I'm embarrassed from Greenville, but man, they would say, no, you're not. where were you born at? Where'd your family come from? Wolf City, Texas, all right? Uh, <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Maybe you, maybe you talk differently. Maybe you get poked fun. Maybe you sound like a bullfrog. It's all good. I've been there, all right? I remember coming home one day in the eighth grade and see my brother's in high school, okay? And so he's at home, and they're doing a senior project, and I walk in, and I want to be cool, okay? And I'm trying to jump in on the conversation, and, and, and it wasn't long after I said one or two sentences, and this was the comment made by one of his friends named Carlos said, ooh, John Michael, he sounds like you, but with the cold, all right? So, so, so maybe you sound different. Maybe you talk differently. Here's the thing. Maybe your family background is just different, or maybe you're just different, all right? Maybe, maybe we can rejoice in that, that we're just different. But here's the thing. When we read the book of Ruth, we understand that for Ruth, after her husband died, she was forced to make a very important decision. See, here's the thing. She could either go back home to her people and their religion, or she could travel with her mother-in-law, to a land where she would be an outsider, where she would not fit in. And here's the thing. 
not only would she be an outsider, but she would be living in a culture that pretty much devalued women, especially women without husbands. So Ruth was up against some of the steepest odds by making this decision that Matt talked about last week where she said, you know what, hey, you're my in-law, but you know what, I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to go back even though, man, I'm going to be an outsider. Here's the thing, man, going back with her mother-in-law, all right, there is obviously the sting of sexism that probably took place. Obviously the sting of racism that took place. But here's what I like about Ruth. She knew how hard sorrow could be, but she understood how great the strength of God was. Here's the thing. No matter how much sorrow was thrown her away, at the end of the day, Ruth understood how powerful the strength of God was. Man, as we fast forward, don't tell Matt that I fast forward, all right? But as we fast forward and we complete this book, man, we understand that Ruth learned that a person's value is not found in the externals. I love that. Man, I, I, I love that she understood that value was not found in the externals. Man, it wasn't about clothes. It wasn't about a certain race. It wasn't about fitting in. Man, listen, we, we got to understand that, man, our teenagers and our preteens, they are growing up in a day and age right now, whether it's Facebook or whether it's Instagram, that they have some raw data, if you will, that shows them if they fit in or not. And that's what I mean by this. Man, they can post something, and depending on who likes it, who thumbs up it, and, and, and who, you know, says right on, then they have that raw data whether or not they fit in or not. Now, here's the thing. We know that that's not true data. And we try to instill in our children that, man, your physical worth is not wrapped up in how many likes you get on Instagram or Facebook, but instead your identity is found in Christ. And I love that Ruth learned that a value is not found in the externals, but instead that value comes from God. And the great thing about God is God welcomes all people. Would you agree with that? God welcomes all people. And so here's the thing. Again, got to ask the question, have you personally been there? Have you been that outsider judged by the color of your skin or, or, or that you look or sound different or maybe because your family is just beyond crazy? Well, as we walk through the book of Ruth, I would challenge you, if you relate to any of those, go home, fast forward, finish this book of Ruth. Because here's the thing, man, as, as you walk through the book of Ruth, you'll be shown that God's wholehearted love, the hand of God that is on our life, that it is for all people and that it shines through all circumstances. Man, there's never been someone who is too messed up, too hurt, too different for God. And I'll say that again because sometimes, church, we forget that. Man, that's why we had to spend so long in James to remind us that we shouldn't play favorites, that we should put everybody on the same playing field, that we should open up our arms to everyone. Because guess what? 
There's not any person that's too messed up, too hurt, too different for God. And in his family, there's no outsiders. There's nobody out on the island. However, sometimes we feel like that. Man, maybe you find yourself laid off. Or maybe you've been laid off and now you're at a new job. Or maybe you're just new to this town. Or maybe you're just checking this church out and and you know some people. Or like my dad was always, I I just remember him always saying, Dad, do you know this person? He would say, well, I know of them, all right? And, And so maybe you feel like you know of some people, but you don't really know them. But here's the thing. There's no outsiders in God's family. So once we understand that, here's the next question. How are you? RBC family, each one of you individually, how are you with sticking with commitments or standing by others as they go through a tough time? Because if there's nobody that's too messed up, too hurt, too different for God, guess what? Man, we're called to be there, to be Christ with skin on, to show Christ's love to those people. But how are we? at sticking by them, even through a tough time? Do you stand by people even when the times get difficult? Because let me tell you, when times get difficult, those people are not that easy to hang around with, right? Man, they're going through life's drama. And sometimes I've heard people say, well, man, I want to reach out to people. But man, when I reach out to those people, they just kind of bring me down. Well, man, I hope that God has been filling you up so much that instead of them bringing you down, you're able to overflow from what he has done in your life, and you're able to pour all into their life that right now probably seems empty. Here's the thing. Man, how are you at hanging and sticking around people when they're going through hard times? Because it can be very hard to stand by a friend when that friend is the subject of gossip, right? It can be hard to stick around a friend when that friend is the subject of criticism or misunderstandings. You may even be ashamed of what that friend has done, but we got to get beyond that. We got to still be a friend to that person because I believe that that's what we see by Ruth's example. So if you will, man, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. And even though this is the second Sunday, we can't start in chapter 2 just yet because Matt didn't finish chapter 1. You could tell him I said that. All right, so here's the thing. Man, if you can, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 19. And here's the reason why Matt left off right there. Not because he ran out of time, but because this right here is what we see as a scene change, okay? Uh, Basically, they could have started chapter 2 right here, but listen to what it says right here in verse 19. It says, So the two of them continued on their journey. And when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited at their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Verse 20, Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Man, why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Verse 22, 
So Naomi returned from, no, from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Here's the thing, RBC, we understand that because of what Matt showed us last Sunday and what we just read as the, as the ending of Ruth chapter 1, we understand that that first chapter in Ruth sets the stage of a beautiful story about a foreign woman who became eventually the great-grandmother of King David. Again, don't tell him I fast forward. But, but here's the thing. Ruth, after becoming a widow, it definitely would have been easier just to stay in Moab, but Ruth decided to go ahead and go with Naomi to Bethlehem and not only go to Bethlehem, but even claim the God of Israel as her own. She stuck by Naomi, her mother-in-law, who was so angry at the time. And again, if you go back to verses uh, 20 and 21, man, you see a mother-in-law and a friend who was so angry, so wounded, so sour-faced, basically so ticked off and so bitter that she actually wanted to change her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which actually means bitter. So we can say that Naomi wasn't just having a bad day, all right? Man, when we meet her in chapter 1, Naomi's entire approach to life was negative. Everything she was thinking was negative. In other words, Naomi was not one of those easy friends to stick by. And so, Ridgecrest, what are we going to do in that situation? Are we going to do what the world says, where we say, man, let me pat you on the back. Call me if you need me. And as we walk away, we say, ooh, man, I hope they don't call me. Ridgecrest, are, are we going to see them in the hallway and say, all right, hey, how are you doing? And, and all we want to hear is fine because we don't even stop. You know, we keep on walking. So if they were to say, well, you know what, my husband just died. Man, my daughter-in-laws, both of their husbands just died. We'd say, oh, man, you know what, I'm, so, I'm two minutes late to a meeting, okay? Tell me that later. Or are we going to stick by a friend even when it's not easy to do? Man, let's pray and ask God to allow us to learn from Ruth's character and example, all right? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that today, man, as we unpack chapter 2, we could do just that. God, that we could understand what your truth says, not only about Ruth, not only about Naomi, but God, also in the life that we understand that we're living right now in the example that Christ had lived out on the cross. God, I pray that we would understand just like as Ruth goes and gleans, God, that we would glean truth from your scripture. God, man, I pray that you would help me talk fast, explain fast, and God, you know me. Man, it takes me an hour to tell a story that's only five minutes long. And so, God, let us get in and let us understand all the truth that is filled and packed into this scripture. God, above everything, man, we ask that your son's name be glorified, and we ask that lives be changed today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start with Ruth chapter 2. Let's get at it. Now, listen to this. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, here's the cool thing. Check this out. 
Man, when you read through Scripture, it is so easy to just plow through Scripture. And this is what I mean, speed read. And I'm not even a fast reader. But you're reading without the attention to understand what it's saying. And so we got to understand that, man, Scripture is, of course, God breathed. And, of course, it's full of truth. And so we got to try to unpack what it's saying right here. And so right here in verse 1, boom, all right, right off the bat, we're already introduced to this guy named Boaz, all right? But we don't know a lot about him, but we know he's got a pretty cool name, Boaz, all right? And so here's the thing. Man, we don't really understand how he's even related uh, to Naomi, but we understand that he is related to Naomi through, uh, you know, her deceased husband, uh, Elimelech. And, and then as we keep on reading, it says right here, it says, now there was not only this guy, but he was a wealthy, influential man. Here's the thing. We got to understand what was the reason why they left and went to Moab anyways in the first place. Was because it was during a time of famine when Elimelech, Naomi, and their whole family had left the promised land and went over to Moab. But here's the thing. Not everybody did that. In fact, Boaz and some others, they stayed behind and God provided for them. In fact, it says that he made Boaz a wealthy and influential man. And as we keep on digging into that, we got to understand that even though Naomi and her family made this choice 10 years prior to, to where we are right now in Scripture, man, it was a choice that was made in a hard time, in a very difficult situation. They were like, stay here, there's a famine, we could die. Or we could leave the land that was promised and we could go back to Moab where, where we might be able to be fruitful. We might be able to live. Um, but here's the thing. They didn't have to make that wrong choice that they did. Because the people that stayed and remained, <coughs> that remained in Bethlehem, man, they did not perish from hunger. Right? Now that we see this homecoming, you know, they're coming back and they see that not only did they not perish, but they were still there. And some of them were even blessed more than Naomi's family. So RBC, we got to understand that sometimes we got to be careful with the choices that we make, big or small. Because sometimes we have the tendency to justify these wrong choices just because of a difficult circumstance that we find ourselves in. Are y'all with me? Do y'all understand that? We might say, you know what? We would never make this choice. Man, we would never leave the, <coughs> the promised land and go to Moab, but we also didn't know we were going to be in a famine. So maybe it's time for us to pack up and leave. But here's the thing. As we walk with God, as we exhibit what it is to be a Christ follower, and we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk that Christ walked, then we got to understand that in that process, even though it may be difficult, God will strengthen us. And God can even bless us to make the right choice, even in the most difficult circumstances. We have to understand that if the hill is up or if we're in a valley, man, we still need to lean on the Lord for direction. Man, as we keep on unpacking this, we go to verse 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, 
Man, let me go into the field, let me go into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So here's the thing. We've got to understand a couple of things that are going on right here. Man, when Ruth says, man, here we are, we don't have a job, we don't have any food, but she says, let me go out into the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do that. Man, it's not just a good idea. I mean, it's a great idea, but it's actually scriptural. And this is what I mean by this. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, Man, if you go and read that, you would read the command that God gives farmers. And God says to the farmers of Israel that they should not totally and completely harvest their fields. And and they were actually commanded to cut corners when harvesting and always leave some behind. Also, if they happen to drop any of it, any of the bundles of grain, Man, while while picking it up, they were commanded to leave it on the ground and not to pick it up. And here's what's neat about that. Man, that right there gives us a window into one of the social assistance programs of Israel back in the day. I mean, farmers were called not to completely harvest their fields so that the poor and the needy could come and could glean the remains for themselves. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to get political right here, but I'm not going to. But here's the thing. This was a wonderful way for helping the poor. It really was a neat picture uh, of showing Christ's love to the poor because it commanded the farmers to have a generous heart for those who were in need. But it also commanded the poor to be active and to go out and work for their food in a way for them to be provided for their own needs but to be done so in dignity. And so then as we keep on going, we understand that, uh, you know, Ruth had the initiative to go out there and work and not just work, but to work hard. And and, and right here, chapter 2 really sums up a day's time. And, And so not only work you know, at a, a 8 to 5, and nine, I mean, at 8 to 4, at 9 to 5, but to work from sun up to sundown, a full day's work. And, and as we keep on reading, I mean, the Scripture says, and as it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz. Now, that's neat that it was penned that way. But uh, here's the thing. Man, when it says that she happened to come to that place, I mean, it might have seemed to Ruth that, that it just happened like that and that she found this nice guy who, who was actually, uh, you know, a relative to her mother-in-law. But we understand that as we read the entire picture, I man, it actually shows that, that uh, how God was guiding Ruth in this entire process. In fact, I man, it shows how the wonderful way that the invisible hand of God works. Like Matt was talking about, man, like you see on the screen, the hand of God in our lives. This is a great example of of how it's unfolding. Man, if Ruth would have stayed home and said, hey, you know what? Let me just pray about this. 
let me just pray for some direction. Let me just pray. Let, let, let me just ask for a sign and, and let me just see what happens. Man, she, she might have she might have waited for a long time. Man, uh, she might have then left and went to the wrong field, but instead, Ruth experienced the very natural moving of the supernatural hand of God. And RBC family, we got to understand that many times as we're walking through life and as we're walking in the spirit, sometimes we can only see the invisible hand of God by looking back. You see what I'm saying? Like, like sometimes as, we're, as it's unfolding, we don't understand that. We don't understand the whole thing because we don't see the, the whole picture. But here's the thing. Let us never overlook what God is continuously and daily doing in our lives. Man, on Wednesday night out at the Beauxcharts, our Keystone College group, man, we were walking through Psalm 40. And Psalm 40 is talking about how great our God is. And then the psalmist says, man, we can't even express it in words because if we tried to, it would fall short. But then later on he says, but because it's so great, God, don't let me keep my lips sealed. Instead, let me share what you've done. Let me talk about this new song that you placed into my heart. And so here's the thing. Man, sometimes we cannot see the invisible hand of God until we look back on everything that he's done. But when we see that, man, don't let us go another moment without giving him praise. And don't let us take another step forward without sharing to others what he has done. Man, as we keep on going through this in verse 4 through 7, man, we understand that then Boaz learns about Ruth. And even though he's learning about Ruth, in this verse 4, we we learn a little bit about Boaz. Listen to this. It says, uh, verse 4, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, and the Lord bless you, uh, the harvesters replied back. Here's the thing. The fact that he he talked to his workers like this shows us something of the heart and the character of Boaz. You know, he he wasn't a dictator. He wasn't one of these, you know, bosses that just like to supervise and just like to demand. But instead, he cared about them. I mean, he greets them and he says, the Lord be with you. And apparently his workers loved him too. And they had a great relationship back with him. And I'll say this, man, there's a lot of people that want to know what's going on in Ridgecrest. There's a lot of people that say, Justin, man, tell me about this new pastor that y'all have at Ridgecrest. Man, give me the scoop. And here's what I love to tell them. Man, I love to brag on this guy. And I love to tell him how, man, I've never worked with somebody like Matt. And, and, and what a blessing it is each and every day to work with a pastor like Matt and, and, and to do ministry alongside him. And, and here's the thing. I believe this. You can often tell the real character of a man in authority by seeing not only how he relates to a staff, but how they talk and how they think about him. Because you might not always be in interaction with that person, but man, 
find out what others think, find out what others believe and, and, and how, they, how they think of him. And as you keep on going through this uh, set of verses, we understand that, again, even though Ruth had the right to go and pick up what was left over, man, she still asked Boaz, please, or asked, asked Boaz's foreman, please, let me glean and let me gather. And, and that right there tells us about the kindness that was in the heart of Ruth and how polite she was. Even though she had the right to do that, but she wanted to ask permission. And then it says on in the scripture, so she came and has continued from morning until now. Man, Boaz is getting the report. Who is she? And what do you know about her? And not only does the foreman say, man, she has come and she even asked permission, but she's worked all day and she's worked hard. And she only took a, you know, a few minutes of rest over there underneath the shelter. But she has been working from morning all the way until now. And then as we keep on reading, she under, we understand that she works all the way through the evening. And RBC, man, as Christ followers, we got to understand that we're under inspection. We really are. Man, when we leave this building, because that's what it is, it's just a building. And when we leave this and we go into our community to actually be the church, to actually live out what, it, what we're called to live out, man, we got to understand that we're under inspection. And at times we don't even know it. Man, we're being watched by all types of people to see how we walk with God. And what they see could make a huge difference in their life. Man, Ruth didn't even understand, didn't even realize that she was being inspected, that, that she was being watched. But guess what? Man, her hard work ethic and her politeness spoke volumes about her. And so then as we keep on going, let's look at verse 8 and 9. It says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather the grain. Don't <coughs> go off to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field and see which part of the field that they are harvesting and then go and follow them. Man, I have warned you. Uh, I mean, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And, and when you're thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Man, when, when Boaz goes and finds Ruth, man, Boaz shows kindness. He speaks to Ruth with kindness. Man, he tells him, says, hey, stay right here with the young women. Man, stay right here and gather grain. And, and as that unfolds, we understand that Ruth is going to find a couple things that day by working with Boaz's people. Man, we find out that she's going to find companionship because he says, stay right here with the young women working my field. And when she's with the young women, man, hopefully they can pour into her life. Man, she's going to find protection because Boaz says, man, I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. I mean, he's already uh, put out, you know, uh, a, a command to those guys and says, man, we need to protect her. But then also she would find refreshment. Man, even though she had nothing, but she was willing to come and work and work hard. Man, uh, he said, hey, when you're thirsty, go over there and draw something from the well. And so here's the thing. Man, 
I don't know if you've ever noticed, a lot of times our kindness depends, sounds sad, but what we can get out of the situation. And this is what I mean by this. Man, even though we understand that this is going to turn into a love story at this time, man, we don't have any type of indication of a romantic attraction between Boaz and Ruth. But here's the thing. There's no description in the text of, of what she even looked like, but, but she probably was pretty. But this is what I mean. She was probably pretty ragged, all right? Because listen to this. Man, she didn't have anything, and she goes, and she works the whole day and works a hard set of hours of work, yet Boaz still came over to her and still extended kindness to her. Man, we got to understand that, yes, it's easy to be kind to others when we can see a potential payout from the investment of our kindness. But you know what? True kindness is shown when we extend ourselves to others who, as far as we can see, man, gives us nothing in return. That's what true kindness is. Man, sometimes we can let the situation beat us down and we can say, man, well, here we are. Man, we go and, man, I talk to her and I talk to him and we text and I tell them what we're doing. But then they don't ever even come around and, and, and join us, and so I've wasted my whole time. Man, maybe that's what we see, but we don't understand what that conversation will eventually do for them in their life. Man, again, as we keep on going, uh, verses 10 through 13, man, it says, Ruth then fell at her feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. Because you know what? I'm only a foreigner. Verse 11, yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And I've heard how you've left your father and mother and your own land to live among here with complete strangers. It says, verse 12, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully with what you have done. Man, I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You, uh, you have comforted me by speaking kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Man, again, uh, right here, man, we understand that she says, what have I done to reserve such kindness? Man, I, I don't know if y'all follow us on Facebook, but man, I love posting pictures of our little girl, Mackenzie. And last Saturday, uh, not yesterday, but a week from yesterday, man, we had a chance to go out and we, we picked wildflowers. We found some guys that had found a, a five and a half foot snake. And even though Shannon and I were scared to death, Mackenzie was like over there like, can I touch it? And, 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 and you know, she's just an explorer. And, and I snapped a picture on her way home and, and she had wildflowers in one hand and not the snake, but she left it. But she had a walking stick in the other and I had posted the comment, I mean, the, the subtitle, you know, here's Mackenzie, wildflowers in one hand, walking stick in the other. And then I wanted to say a whole lot of attitude because she does. But I said a whole lot of personality. And then immediately the very first comment said, and a whole lot of sass and attitude because they know, they understand. Man, uh, she has an attitude like we all do. All right. But. Let's look at Ruth's attitude right here. 
Man, it was so wonderful because in this moment, man, right here in verse 10, man, if it was us, we probably would have said, man, well, it's about time somebody noticed all the stuff I was going through. Man, it's about time because I've been working hard all day for me and my mother-in-law. Now, God, man, hurry up and give me the blessings that I deserve. That would have been us. But I'm glad this story isn't about us. And instead, it's about Ruth because Ruth, her attitude was wonderful. Man, we never see Ruth asking and saying, man, why are all these hard things coming up upon my life? But instead, she says, man, why is all these good things happening? Man, this is a significant difference in the attitude that we see earlier in her mother-in-law who wanted to change her name to something that meant bitter, you know. And, and so she says, man, what have I done to deserve all this kindness? Man, I'm only a foreigner, but yet you come and, and you extend this, this kindness to me. And here's the thing. What's crazy is I believe that the Bible tells us that we should be kind to all strangers among us. But it really p- applies to our day and age on a whole nother level. Because have you noticed that our society Man, it's no longer only structured around the family. And here's what I mean by this. Man, there's for many people, maybe even in this room, but their most important circle of association is their friends. Maybe their coworkers, maybe their college, uh, their college roommates, but, it, but it's their friends. And sociologists actually call this, and they term this word, tribalization, all right? Instead of being focused on just our family, we become part of a little tribe, a little circle of friends uh, that, that those sociologists call a, a, a tribe. And so the command to love a stranger would mean that we need to go outside of our tribe and we need to associate with those from another tribe. Well, see, here's what's crazy. For the people that don't go to church or they've been to church and they've been burned up by a church, they don't use the word tribe. They use the word click. They use the word, you know, some other words that, 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 that are synonyms to click. Man, we don't need to have little clicks where we go and, and, and we only minister to those who are like us or who like the same things as we do. But instead, man, we got to go outside of these walls and, and we have to show love to anybody. Man, I love that Boaz says, hey, Basically, Ruth, I've heard about your story. And see, I think Shannon can relate to this because Shannon works at two different schools, but both of those school districts are in small towns. And she says, she comes home and she'll tell me a story, and then she always ends it like this. Well, that's small town for you. That's a small town where they know everything about everybody. And Boaz, right here in this small town, he knows the business of Ruth. But guess what? The business is good. Not only does he know about her, but the things that he knows about her are great, and they show great favor to Ruth, and, and, and they show uh, and they talk great, and, and, and really he's able to encourage Ruth because of those things. Man, again, as we keep on going through, man, uh, in verse 14 through 16, we understand that then this companionship might start, and it says that Boaz continues to show great love uh, to Ruth. Listen to verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz called her, come over here. 
Help yourself to the food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. Man, she ate all that she wanted, and she still had some left over. Man, when Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered the young men, let her gather the grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and put some, it says, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Man, let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. Man, again, right here, she was not one of those harvesters, but Boaz invites her to the table just as she was. Man says, hey, you're not basically one of these, but I'm going to treat you as if you are. And uh, maybe right here, man, we start to see the first hint of this romance uh, when, when Boaz showed her that great kindness and, and <clears throat> didn't just give her food, but invited her t- to share in the meal fully. And not only did she eat, but she ate all that she wanted. Not only did she eat all that she wanted, she had some left over. She put some in a to-go box. Man, she was going to take that back home. She didn't eat it all, but she understood that, man, even though she was being blessed, who was she working for? She was working to provide for Naomi. And that she had been blessed by this great meal, she was going to put some in a takeout box and take that back home to her mother-in-law. And so she sat right there at the table. She was one of them. She took some home, and she was able to eventually bless her mother-in-law. And then he says to his workers, man, let her gather the grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. And then drop some on purpose, but don't give her a hard time. Again, man, it was, it was her right to, to go out there and pick up the leftovers. But we got to understand that Boaz was being more generous than what was commanded just in Leviticus chapter 19. And in fact, not only did he want to bless Ruth, but he didn't want to dishonor her dignity and and make her a charity case. And and even though he was kind to her, man, he still allowed her to go through there and, and, and to take on her role that she was called to do and go pick up that stuff. And so then, man, we, we, we really come to the end of the chapter right here in verse 17 through 23. And at this part of the time, man, we understand that Ruth then goes home and she reports the day's events to Naomi. And it says in verse 17, you know, that she gathered the barley there all day and that she went and beat it out in the, green, the grain that evening and also filled the entire basket where we say maybe was like a five and a half gallon bucket that, that would be great for people with nothing. It says she carried it back into the town and she showed it to her mother-in-law and Ruth also gave, gave her the roasted grain uh, that, was in the le- that was left over from her mill. And so we understand that again, Ruth not only worked hard, but she came back and she blessed her mother-in-law with those things that that she was given, with those things that she worked hard with. And then as we go on to verses 19 through 23, listen to this. I love this. Verse 19, it says, where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in in whose field that she had worked in. And she said, the man I worked today with, his name was Boaz. 
And then listen to verse 20. It says, may the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of the family's redeemers. Man, here's the thing. Talk about a 180 moment. Talk about a complete turnaround. Listen, this is Naomi, right? Did you hear that? Listen to this declaration that she makes. Uh, She says, may the Lord bless him. He is showing kindness to us as well as your dead husband. Man, is this the same woman that just came into town and said these things in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20? Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. And is it the same woman who then one verse later said, you know, hey, the Lord has cursed me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's that same woman. 180 moment. Man, now she sees more of God's plan unfolding. Now she can understand and she can see better the invisible hand of God working through their lives. And now she can better know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God. The same woman who started out so bitter, she wanted to change her name. And now she's praising God for this man. And then I won't fast forward too much, but she calls this man a redeemer. And that's where Matt's going to pick up this next week. But, man, as the band makes their way back up here, man, we got we to gotta, we gotta close with this right here. Because she talks about to her mother-in-law all these things that this great man has done. And guess what her mother-in-law says? Stay with this man. Stay with Boaz. In Hollywood, it'd be like, Cue the nice music, cue the romantic part of the love story. But here's the thing. Intertwined within the entire book of Ruth, we have to understand that there's a whole another important love story that's being portrayed right here. Because just as Boaz loved Ruth, despite the fact that she was an outsider, Despite that she was a different race, despite that she talked different, guess what? God loves us even through, even though our sin separates us from him. Man, even though Boaz looked beyond those things, you know, God doesn't look beyond our sin. But God is always ready and willing, man, to come forgive us when we call upon him to forgive us of that sin that separates us from him. And not only was Boaz generous, but he was called that family redeemer. And as that family redeemer, Matt's going to explain in the next weeks that that he was going to be able to step into this tough situation with these two single women that they found themselves in and was going to be able to give them a standing in this community and a security in this community all through Mary and Ruth. In RBC, my church family, 
Man, we have to understand that Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. And through a relationship with him, that's how we find love. Through a relationship with him, that's how we find security. Through a relationship with him, that's how we find purpose. And through a relationship with Christ, that's how we find forgiveness. You see, Jesus gives us an opportunity to make a brand new start. And man, I want to give y'all the same opportunity today. Because if you're just here and you're just checking things out, man, we understand that. But we, won't, we don't want you to just continue to check things out. Man, if this is where God is calling you to be a part of, not somewhere just to attend, but somewhere to serve, somewhere to plug into, man, don't put that off. Instead, come running. Man, if you've been out there and you've been searching for identity from the world, or you've been searching for worth from the world, teenagers, man, if you're looking for your friend status or your likes on Instagram, man, that's not where it's all about. Man, it's through Christ where you get real forgiveness. It's through Christ where you get real identity. For some of us in here, we already know that, but we're not choosing to live like that. So come to the altar, do business with Christ, and say, man, hey, I played these games for too long, but now I want to I wanna get this stuff right. And for some of y'all in here and y'all have never done that, man, don't wait another moment. Don't even wait till tonight to call somebody. But instead, come running to God because he's got his arms wide open.